1: Empty Set Entertainment presents Slay, created by Scott Sigler and Rob Otto, performed by Scott Sigler. This story is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies. Happy New Year. I hope 2024 brings you much joy and satisfaction. This is going to be a wild year on all fronts, clearly. We have bumped Slay Season 1's publication date in print, ebook, and audiobook to April 1st, 2024, which of course is Sigler Ascension Day. We still have a lot of work to do in that book to reach that date, so hopefully we will pull that off for you. Of course, you are now listening to Slay Season 2. When complete, Season 2 should be out in print, ebook, and audiobook sometime in 2025. Because we are efficient like that, we know how to use calendars. Five books in the series total. All right, let's get you caught up in everything, and then we're going to go hang out with Thomas Jefferson. Sort of. Previously on Slay. Faced with dwindling options and many, many bills, Ariella gave Lincoln a contract to fulfill, taking out a lynch in Lynchburg, Virginia. While potentially dangerous... Litch's crown alone will cover three payments to Kalista. As long as those payments are made, Kalista must keep Lincoln's son Sam safe on the shelf. The trip from the men's room in the Old Stone Church to the Totem Plaza in Cordes went without issue. Lincoln didn't even have to leave the plaza. He'd used the totem Ariella had told him to use, and away he'd went, sailing through the blinding white nothingness and the pitch-black infinity toward the target. As he traveled, as his body disintegrated and reintegrated over and over again, he dwelled on Ariella's words. The lich may have an ear cuff. If you see it, make sure you get it. It could be important. Lincoln knew he should have put his foot down and demanded she explain what it was what it could do. But he hadn't. Why? Because Ariella had somehow become the boss of the operation. They needed money. He didn't know shit about money. Ariella did. End of equation. The nothing and infinity gave way as Lincoln slammed back into reality. He found himself inside a small hexagonal brick tower. Once upon a time, in the days before plumbing, This tiny building had been a privy, or at least that's what he had been told. No lights for him to see the details. He carefully worked his way around a plexiglass divider meant to keep the curious from trying to walk in the footsteps of giants, so to speak, and descended three wooden steps to the ground. In the dark of night, a man wearing an olive trench coat stood there, waiting for him. Hello, Mr. Franks. I'm Lucius Palmentari. Palmentary had listed the bounty in Baffemal's binder. The guy liked to dress up for work, apparently. Three-piece suit, olive green ascot that matched his trench coat. Black hair shaved on the sides, curled in a left-to-right wave across the top of his head. I understand you've got a lich issue, Lincoln said. Not me personally. I'm a freelance broker. A broker made their living finding problems caused by the Enlightened then arranging for said problem to be removed, at a steep cost, usually. Lincoln glanced around the grounds. Not much to see at night, although the old brick house, also hexagonal, with a widow's walk and a portico supported by four white columns, was lit up well enough. Never been here before, Lincoln said. Thomas Jefferson really lived in this place? Poplar Forest was a summer home for him, yeah. You a history buff. Just keeping up with the problems of the present was trouble enough. Not really, Lincoln said. Although it's kind of cool to show up in a place an actual president used to drop a deuce. Palminteri nodded. Long before the days of U.S. presidents crapping on solid gold toilets like some English king, I suppose. You ready to get at it, Mr. Franks? I have transportation close by. Sooner started, sooner done. I'm ready, Lincoln said. Let's ride. To any unenlightened or purblind, Lincoln rode in the passenger seat of a mid-80s Chevy Caprice station wagon, wood panels and all. To any enlightened, or anyone who had dosed with a hit or two of Nerpel, he was on the seat of a buckboard wagon being pulled along at some 25 miles an hour by a rather flatulent draft horse. Christ, on a crutch! Lincoln waved his hand in front of his face. What did you feed this thing? Beefarino? Not familiar with that brand to feed, Terry said. Is it oat-based? The guy didn't know his 90s sitcoms. Oh, well. Never mind, Lincoln said. Where are we going? The Lich is on Daniel Island, the James River. I have a rowboat waiting. During the day, Lincoln imagined this was pretty country. At night... Darkness clung to the narrow road, to the rundown houses on the left, and to the river on his right. You rowin' me over? Paul and Terry huffed. Hell no! You're on your own. That didn't bother Lincoln. If everyone handled their own business, there wouldn't be a bounty hunting trade at all. How'd you find out about the lich? The man smiled. That's what I do, Mister Franks. I find out about things. Palmentary wasn't about to reveal his trade secrets. Fair enough. Now I keep whatever's in the lich's lair, Lincoln said. That's the deal, yeah? Sometimes, brokers tried to change terms at the last moment. Hopefully this guy was smarter than that. That's the deal, Palmentary said. Local business interests pay me to solve a problem. I'm solid on this deal as soon as the lich is gone. Apparently... This was as it had seemed in the binder a straight up monster hunt. No gangsters, no drugs. Nice. Is Daniel Island public land? Liberty University owns it, I think, Palmentary said. Island is forest and swamp. The lich wasn't that active until a few months ago. People have been going missing here for decades, but the frequency picked up a little bit back. A couple of college kids went to the island, we never heard from again. There's been sightings of walking skeletons and mud wooggies. Uh, sorry, a mud woogie? That's the Lich's Guardians, Palmentary said. It's like a zombie that's half flesh and half mud. That sounded delightful. People are scared, which is bad for business and tourism, Palmentary said. It's not a big enough problem for the Bastion to get involved yet. You know how they are. Lincoln did know. The Bastion dealt with bigger issues. Anything that flew under their radar created a market for people like him and for Palmentary. How long is the Lichman on the island? Over a century near as I can tell, Palmentary said. I figure it's a guy named John Early, Methodist bishop in his parts back in the 1850s, but I can't say for sure. He was a slave owner. Palmentary said that last bit as if it explained everything that needed to be known. I'll be up front with you, Mr. Franks. You're not the first to go after this lich. A woman who went by the name Karina Gitt tried before you. She ran, swam across the river back to me. She wouldn't say much about what she'd seen, other than that she'd found the location of its lair. Well, that was good news, as having the location would save Lincoln hours of work. Did this uh, Karina say where the lich hides its death? She did not, Palmentary said. That you'll have to find for yourself. That might be a big problem or no problem at all. Liches staved off death by hiding their death thread in a container. You could kill the lich, but if you didn't get that thread, the bastard would heal up fast and come back after you. At the herd, there was this guy who called himself Jayanta, Palminteri said. No last name. He never made it off the island. I assume he's a mudwuggy now. Lincoln had never heard of either hunter, so he had no idea if they were good at the job or they'd been amateurs. Still, the lich had claimed one, chased away the other. He would have to be careful. The horse farted. Lincoln covered his mouth with the crook of his arm. Oh man, whatever you're feeding this thing, try something else, will ya? How many guardians does this lich have? Karina said she saw three, but the thing's been around for a century, so who knows? Ah, highly accurate intel. That always made a job easier. What's the Lich's powers? Seems elemental-based, Palmentary said. Mostly mud and dirt, from what I gather. The rowboat's right up ahead. Time to end your supper, Mr. Franks.
0: or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents in easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: It had been so long since Lincoln operated outside of a city that he'd let his waterproofing meshwork slip. Cold, muddy water soaked his pants' legs up to his knees. He'd have to scrub his armor clean when he got back. His between-cloaks haze of smirral, which others saw as the gray mist that covered his eyes, let him see through the darkness. The haze could turn night to day or day to night. The latter came in handy when faced with blinding attacks like blazes of flame, lightning bursts, or even muzzle flashes. The woods loomed around him like an army of shadowy giants leaning close to snatch him up. There were spots of solid dry ground, but they were few and far between. In some places, the patches of black water were so shallow they didn't top the soles of his armored boots, while in others, they had crotch-deep holes. Lynchburg wasn't a booming metro, but neither was it a small town. The long, wide strip of forested nothing that was Daniel Island seemed out of place. Maybe it had looked just like this before the arrival of the white man. Maybe before the arrival of any man. He had no doubt this cloying, isolated feel was amplified by the lich's mesh. Creatures that played along the seams between life and death always seemed to like remote places, or at least places that felt remote. Lincoln saw the landmark had told him about. Two gnarled oaks, leaning toward each other, entangled with each other. Bits of old brick and stone embedded in their trunks, as if the trees had long ago swallowed up a simple one-room shelter. Where those trunks met was a dark space, as high and wide as a kneeling man. To the unenlightened, it was nothing more than a dark shadow. To Lincoln, however, He saw it as it truly was, a narrow stone stairwell leading down. Too narrow to use his crossbow? Maybe not, but definitely too narrow to properly wield his sword to Zona. If he was up against Earth Elementals, the Mudwuggies, he needed to blast out as much dirt as he could as fast as he could. He opted for his favorite 1-2 combo. Veper 12 shotgun in his right hand, its stock folded in, and in his left, his hatchet, Bastard Maker. He had no backup. Stupid way to fight. Wasn't going to operate like this again. Next time he went out, Billy would have to come with, start earning his keep. No Billy here now, though. No Billy, no Magda, no Ariella, no Dragon, not even Terry. The rough chipped, moss, and mold-covered stairs descended much further than they should have. Lincoln counted 50 steps before he hit the bottom, which put him well below the riverbed. He moved forward. The ceiling dripped. The walls beaded with water that gathered and ran down in rivulets. It was like being in a tunnel dug for a sewer before the concrete pipes were put in. Lincoln sensed the meshwork around him, holding the earth and water most of it anyway, at bay. Undead meshwork, made up of rotting tree roots, liquefying clams and snails, crawling bugs, and wiggling worms. Maybe this wasn't a sewer, but it sure smelled like one. The place stank so bad, he found himself wishing for the beefarino-eating horse instead. A lilting, whispering voice filtered down the tunnel. Leave now, or be forever buried. So much for the element of surprise. Suck on my left nut, Lincoln said, two times. He heard the almost musical rattling of bones before he saw two skeletons running down the tunnel toward him. They weren't the bleach white of the movies, but instead were filthy with wet dirt, crusted lichens, and stained by algae. Scraps of dried flesh clung to their bones, made interesting web-like patterns between their ribs. If this was as bad as it got, Lincoln would count himself lucky. He whipped Bastard Maker at the oncoming threat. Runes gleaming, the ancient axe sailed blade over handle. It slammed into the lead skeleton's chest, shattering sternum and ribs in a cloud of splintering bone. The axe then hit the trailing skeleton knocking its left arm clean off. Gildy, Lincoln said. Bastard maker returned the way it had come, tearing through the second skeleton's back. By the time the half-slapped hard into Lincoln's palm, both skeletons were ruined piles of stained bones. The wet wall seeped outward like a blister of muck. The protrusion took form. Two man-shaped creatures shambling mounds of dripping mud. The one in front wore a filthy, sludge-thick sweatshirt so dark and ripped and wet, Lincoln could barely make out the words, Liberty University. He threw Bastard Maker again. This time, though, the weapon didn't punch through. It thudded into the elemental and stuck fast. Kill him, the whispery voice said. Drown him in mud. The two mudwuggies shambled toward Lincoln, single file their bloated bodies so wide they barely fit between the tunnel walls. It was like Jacoby Franks, Lincoln's father, had always said, some problems you can solve with an X and some you can't. Lincoln switched the Vepper 12 to full auto and opened up on the first elemental. 12-gauge slugs tore through the mudwuggy's chest and head, spraying clods of dirt and rotten flesh across the tunnel. When the twelfth round rang out, the creature had been reduced to little more than muddy legs, hips, and a midriff. The whole mess tumbled forward to the tunnel floor. The second elemental, already full of holes from slugs that had punched clean through, stepped over its brethren as Lincoln put in a fresh magazine. This time, he aimed more carefully. Six rounds smashed the creature's head to muck. The mud-wuggy crumbled to the tunnel floor. Lincoln pulled the glass vial of holy water from his right boot, sprinkled a little bit on the head of each downed elemental. The water sizzled where it hit. He didn't bother with the skeletons. There weren't enough pieces left intact to pose a danger. Lincoln yanked Bastard Maker free of the elemental's chest, held both the hatchet and the holy water vial in his left hand. He stepped over his fallen foes. There was an opening just ahead, and in that opening, a zombie-looking motherfucker wearing a mud-soaked robe and a golden crown atop its emaciated head. You destroyed my servants, the lich said, its words whispers of hate. Who are you? Are you a knight? Lincoln had expected the lich to assume that he was a -a rixator because he looked like a -a rixator. The Lich didn't know what a Rixator was, though, which meant it had never heard of the Bastion. Probably never heard of Cortis. That happened from time to time. "'Your days on this plane are over,' Lincoln said. The Lich raised its bony, flesh-slothed hands. "'Your guns will not work on me, mortal!' Pale pink energy sizzled across the skeletal hands." You will become my new sir. The vepper unloaded, six slugs blasting through the filthy robe and into the body beyond. The Lich stumbled back. My guns work just fine, fuckface, Lincoln said. That was your shot. Now for your chaser. Lincoln strode forward, sliding the vepper into the folds of his between cloak. Time to finish this. Up close and personal. His boots left deep footprints in the tunnel floor, each step accompanied by the squelch of clinging mud. He switched Bastard Maker to his right hand. The lich stood tall, its crown sparkling with that same pale pink energy, the black holes of its eyes narrowing with fury. Lincoln raised the hatchet and brought it down hard. The lich reached up so fast, its cold, bony hand catching Lincoln's wrist stopping the blade from crashing into its crown-covered head. Yes, the lich said, skeletal jaw moving in time to the words, even though it had no lips. Now you see my strength. Now you will feel my power. With his left hand, Lincoln jammed the holy water vial into the lich's mouth. The skeletal head pulled back reflexively. Lincoln threw a short, sharp uppercut into the bony jaw. He heard the glass vial break. The lich let out a scream that sounded all too mortal. Smoke poured from between the teeth, seeped out of the eye sockets, escaped through the shreds of dry flesh. Skeletal hands clutched at its throat spine. Feel this, Lincoln said, and whipped Bastard Maker into the undead's neck. The spine shattered. The severed skull spun, sending the golden crown into the floor's mud. The skull splashed into a thin puddle, holy water steam still rising up. The body fell limp. Lincoln knew he only had a few seconds before the creature pulled itself together. He looked around the small room. Shelves of rough, rotting wood. A small table and a chair. Tiny scraps of white paint still clinging to a few spots. There, on the top shelf, a glass jar with some kind of glowing pink snake writhing inside, writhing as if in agony. Could it be that easy? The severed skull rolled across the floor. With an audible click, it attached itself to the heavily damaged neck spine. Pink flashes coursed across the robe-covered body. The lich's arms moved. It started to rise. One step brought Lincoln to the jar. He raised Bastard Maker, whipped it forward in a fast, short arc. The blade shattered the glass. Free thread evaporated in a red cloud. The pink snake slid out and fell to the muddy floor. Well, it wasn't a snake. It was a centipede, its thin, nasty legs twitching spasmodically. Lincoln raised a foot. No, the lich said. Please, I will give you... The sole of Lincoln's armored boot smashed the centipede to paste. The lich collapsed. It did not move. Its days of cheating death were over. Yeah, it had been that easy. Maybe Lincoln's luck was about to change. Another look around the room. No gold, no treasure of any kind. Bummer. He picked up the lich's crown, slid it into the folds of his cloak. He then knelt next to the robe-covered pile of bones and rotting flesh. Lincoln pulled the ear cuff free. Most of the ear came with it. He gave the cuff a quick wrist fling. The rotting, hairy ear flew away. Lincoln stood and hurried out of the room. Water was pouring down through the roof now, eroding the walls. The lich's magic was already fading. He heard the room collapse as he started up the steps. By the time he stepped out into the woods, the tunnel itself gave way. As Lincoln watched, he saw the top stone steps slide into the muddy ground and vanish. Job complete, not a scratch on him. Sometimes the dice rolled the right way. He headed for the rowboat, wondering what Ariella would do with the ear cuff. You have been listening to Slay. Created by Scott Sigler and Rob Otto. Performed by Scott Sigler. Copyright 2024, Empty Set Entertainment. For more info on Scott Sigler, his novels, short stories, and podcasts, visit scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song They're Watching Me by the band Super Weapon.